You're listening to a message from Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. Today's text comes from Jeremiah, chapter 17, 7 through 10. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes, its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear, to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. Uh, yeah, this Saturday, uh, there's something that's happening at 7.30, which I'm, I'm really excited about. Uh, Sam Coaches, who's a uh, member of this church or has been in this community for a while now. She is uh, doing a master's performance here. She, you've probably seen her play flute, and uh, she's incredible at it. And she's doing this, this, uh, this performance called Impressions. It's going to be this interdisciplinary show that explores our generational relationships with nature. I want to encourage you all to come here. I will definitely be here. Uh, but in light of that and in light of this Earth Day announcement, I've really just been thinking about our relationship to creation. It's not something we often talk about, uh, at least in the traditions that I've been in and even here, though I promise that will change. But to consider that we inhabit an Earth it was here first, and how do we relate to it? There's this uh, concept called uh, perichoresis, a uh, big fancy word, which, which essentially uh, the Greek means to, to come around, or, or it's the idea of a dance, right? And so it's a concept that was used to describe the Trinity and, and how like Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, how they, how they are, are of equal stature and of equal nature, but, but different substances, different, different entities, but are one. And so there's this dance between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That can be a little confusing. For me, when I think about perichoresis, uh, it takes me back to my childhood. Uh, it's the best way I could explain it. So after school, the boys, we'd start shooting hoops, and the girls, they would get out the ropes in the street, and they would start double dutch. I don't know if any of you all are familiar with Double Dutch. Yeah. And so you had your turners, and it was kind of like, when you think about it, the, the, the Trinity would almost be like these, 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 the Father and the Son being bound by the sachet of the Spirit, right? These ropes that are curling to and fro. And then you would have these jumpers that would come in, right? And you'd come in with your friend. If you were really good, you could bring in a friend, but they had to have their rhythm correct, uh, or things would get messy because you were jumping in ropes, okay? Uh, and they would get really fast, and there was just this beautiful dance. And I think about that when I think about 
the world, that the Trinity is spinning these ropes, and here in the middle, you have man and creation moving and playing and speeding up and slowing down and interacting together. This is actually the narrative across Scripture, this conception of, of, of the Trinity and its invitation to man and to creation to come into this play and into this dance. The story of the scriptures start in Genesis, right? And in Genesis, in Genesis 2, uh, there's this picture where, where the Lord has, has, has created all, of, all made things and he's placed man in this garden. And the scriptures say that there's God and there's man and there's this tree. And this tree provides all the fruit that the man needs to live. And so these things need one another. There's a harmony of relationships. Now, we all know that, that that all falls apart just in Genesis 3 where man tries to, tries to jump out of this relationship, tries to just go it alone. And so this whole dance becomes a jumbled mess. And then we move across time to there's this other dance between man and the divine and the creation. Another tree is in the center of the narrative. Peter says it like this, he himself, speaking of Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you are healed. And so in the middle of the narrative, you have Jesus, man, and God, and sitting on a tree, hung to a tree, representing the, how we have taken creation and what was once a dance, we as men have now turned it into torture. The tree that gave us life, we now make it an instrument of death. And yet the dance continues and life is formed. Then you move into Revelation 22, so at the end of the story. And again, the scriptures speak that now all things have been made right. And what do we find is a city where the people of God are in full communion once again with their creator, and there in the center is a tree. And this tree is bearing fruit in and out of season, more fruit than we could ever need, and it provides us nourishment. Now, Genesis and Revelation, I think it's important, you know, we're going to have this class on how to read scripture. It's important to note that Genesis is Hebrew poetry, and, and Revelation is, is apocryphal or prophetic literature. And so when you talk about poetry and prophecy, the thing is you can't just like read these things uh, on their face. Like they, that's not really the point of them, right? So when we talk about, when we read about these kind, of, these kind of narratives within Scripture, what they're trying to do, what the authors are trying to do, is trying to give us these larger truths, these eternal, everlasting truths, 
in ways that stretch across time. Another way to say it is that, that poetry and prophecy in the scripture are these every age spiritual truths that are stretched across the frame of time and understanding. And so what the scriptures does is it uses language like revelation, this, these, these symbols of, of dragons and fire and, and bowls and all these things that can be hard to comprehend because it's not talking about necessarily dragons and bowls. What it's trying to make is a bigger picture that whether you were a first century Israelite or whether you were a 20th century American, you could just not be persuaded that this wasn't for you, but that this is across the cosmos is truth. And what is the truth? The truth is this, that there is a God above everything who concerns himself with meeting the needs of his children and uses ordinary created things to give them what they need. There is a God above everything who concerns himself with meeting the needs of his children and uses ordinary, natural, created things to give them what they need. This is the tree in the garden. This is the tree in the city of God. And so in this dance, in this double Dutch this cosmic double dutch, these things work together. They speak to one another. This is what leads us to our teaching text. Jeremiah 17 says, Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. Verse 8 says, They will be like a tree planted by the waters, who sends out its roots by the stream. Today we're just going to focus on these two verses, but I just want to look at the double dutch that's happening in this verse. First, we have this, this dance, this perichoresis between God and man. Jeremiah writes, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. The question that's asked of us is, whom will we trust? We've been talking about this a lot over the last two weeks. Palm Sunday, as, as Jesus made his triumphal entry on a donkey, we raised the question, who is our king? And what does our worship look like in our lives? Last week on Easter Sunday, Gemma gave us this beautiful invitation into the kingdom of God and what it looks like for him to practice lordship over our life. And so we're still back, just kind of building on those themes as we think about what's happening here in Jeremiah. The reality is, is here's the, the short reality. I'll save you a lot of time if you're like, what's the point of this whole thing? Why are we... In church, why do we do this every week? Because here's the thing, you have to make a decision. You have to make a decision about what will govern your life. You've already made that decision. The question is, do you know it? What will govern your life? And the chief call of scripture is that you are not capable of controlling and governing your life on your own. You just don't have the perspective. And you don't have the necessary tools. That is the testimony of Scripture. You cannot do this life alone without God. And then we have the responsibility to interact with that truth. We can try to ignore it. won't change the truth of it. We can reject it and figure out our own other way. Or we can make the decision to give ourselves to this stance, to give ourselves to this reality. 
to jump into the circle and give it a try. The scriptures say that the one who does, the one who chooses to let the Lord govern their lives, well, whose confidence is, is in him, they are blessed. They have what they need. And that's where we kind of move into this dance between man and creation, right? It goes on to say that those people, those blessed people who have, who have chosen to let the Lord govern their lives, well, those people will be like a tree planted by the water. The call here then for us is like, what can we learn from nature and the world? As we try to make this decision about what should govern our lives, what, what data can we pull from, right? And so the scriptures call us to look at nature itself. Paul in Romans 1, he says that, that, that nature, that since, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, what he's like, has been clearly seen and understood from what has been made. The created world declares the glory of God. This is why Jesus says to his people when they say, hey, listen, if these people don't praise me, the rocks will cry out. And so we get to look at creation and learn something, and namely this, the tree can do nothing to provide for its own needs. Tree is planted, it raises up, but it can't make the water fall from the sky. It's totally dependent on something outside of itself to give it what it needs to thrive. But what it can do is to move towards that life-giving water. And it does. There's this uh, Rutgers University study where they observed the root systems of trees. And what they found was that trees will send their roots down through rock and dirt hundreds and hundreds of feet to find water. No matter whatever situation it is, and if, and if, and if it's in a, in a lush environment where water is, is readily available, then it will stay there and it will spread its roots far and wide. If life is good, it will just swim in the waters. But if it's in a dry and arid climate where there's not readily available tables of water, it will send its roots deep, deep down until it hits it because it needs it to survive. Likewise, I mean, how much of this life can we really control? When you think about it, we can be tempted to think that control is possible if we just had enough money, right? And it's true, with enough money, you can, uh, you can definitely make yourself more comfortable. That's, I mean, that's obvious. But also when we look at those who have the most money and we look at the desperation, it turns out that I guess money can't buy happiness, right? I read a story this week of, of this, this man uh, uh, in Texas, I think it was Texas. He decided to take all his money and throw it out his car. <laughs> like, 
thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars, all his life savings, he just scattered to the wind and people were pulling over in the interstate to grab this money. <laughs> Amen. What? My mama told me not to run across the street, but she didn't say there were dollars on the ground. Uh, but it turns out that the money was from a shared account. And so while this man had this moment and all these people that grabbed the money off the ground, they, to, to them, they like went home and was like, honey, you will not believe what happened. We're going to Red Lobster. <laughs> We're rich. I couldn't control this. I was just driving down the street and there's money on the ground. And then you have these people who were rich and secure. We had money in the bank. And because of our family member now, we have nothing. And they have no recourse to get it back. We have no control over this life. Very little. Very little. So will we learn from creation and move our roots towards the water of God. And then it goes on. So this, Jeremiah says that they will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. And this is that dance between creation and God. Again, how God provides for the tree. Later in the scriptures, Jesus says, uh, who by you can add worrying can add a day to their life? Just consider the lilies of the valley. Are they not clothed in splendor? The birds in the air, do they not find a nest and food? This father keeps his eyes on every sparrow, and if he does that, will he not provide for you everything that you need? Creation is in this relationship with God that is so instructive to us, but also is apart from us. Uh, the Apostle Peter, in his epistle, says this, speaking of Jesus again, he himself bore his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds have you been healed. But he goes on to say, for you were like sheep going astray. But now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Peter is talking to those followers of Jesus and he's saying, what you've done is that you've gone back to letting the Lord govern your life. That he has become your overseer. He has become your shepherd. That word shepherd in the Hebrew, ra'ah, it, it has this connotation of friend, someone who walks alongside, who guides. In Psalm 23, David speaks to the shepherd as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? Which is so much, so much more daunting than death itself, right? Like how many times have you stressed over what could happen, what death might come to you? If the death was just there, you're kind of just like, I could just deal with that, but it's the shadow of death that freaks me out. But David testifies in Psalm 23 that he walked through the valley of the shadow of death. So in this low point where death 
is all around and it's in the air. I fear no evil. By evil, he means anything that's not from God. I don't worry. Why? Why don't I worry? Why does David not worry? Because, as he says in the beginning, he has a shepherd that he doesn't, that he, that cures all his lack. So he says, as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? Because your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The shepherd carries his crook. And it becomes a rod when he needs to, to beat back wolves, bears, anything that would try to attack its sheep, right? Also, sometimes when a, a sheep is continues to wander away, then sometimes the, the shepherd would actually have to take that crook and break a leg. So the animal couldn't wander away and put itself at risk. And so there's this rod of, 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 of reproof beating back the darkness and also beating back the darkness within us. And then there's the crook, this, this curved end by which he would grab the, the sheep's neck and he would lead it in the way it should go. There's this guiding aspect to the shepherd. So he protects and he guides. And this, David says, is a comfort as we walk through the shadow of death. All this I bring up and where we're sitting today is because over the next three weeks, uh, in the next two weeks after today, we're going to be continuing to walk through this passage in a series called A Rooted Community. A Rooted Community is referencing what's going to be the name of the people that we are, we are organizing within this, in this church. They're going to be essentially the root system of this church. So when you think about the Sheremiah passage, it says that this tree has these roots and the tree sends out its roots towards a stream and so likewise, what the, what the tree does is that the deeper those roots go, the, the more able this tree is to stand, the more impervious it becomes. And so for this community, for it to stand and to flourish, we need people that are going to serve as the roots of this community. But these people are going to move themselves towards the stream of, river, of living water. And here's how this community is going to work. Today, I just want to talk about the what of it. And then next week, I'm going to talk about the why and the how. But the what of this community, well, there's a couple of things you need to know about it. One, the interest is going to be biannual, every spring and every fall. And it's going to be open to all, but not intended for all. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, the scriptures speak of the kingdom of God as like a banquet table, right? Uh, and so there's places to come and eat. But not everybody's hungry or decides. Not everybody wants to be governed by Jesus, and that's okay, right? There's some who kind of just, if you ever had like a dinner party, there's maybe those people that kind of sit and they're just kind of talking at the outside, and they're sitting on the porch, they're sitting on the couch, and they're having that conversation, and other people are, are dining, and that's kind of the picture of this community. There will be people, some of you, whose your only relation to this community will be 10.30 to 12.30 on a Sunday. And that's okay. We welcome you to this table. We hope that you find something nourishing while you're here. But there will be those of us who have committed ourselves to this meal, 
to making sure that we are setting a root, some deep roots, that we are making sure the table is set, that the dishes are going to be put away, that there's going to be something for us to eat, and those people are going to be our rooted community. And this rooted community is going to be made up of people who have intentionally surrendered their lives individually and corporately to Jesus. Essentially, it is going to be people who have decided that God will govern their life. And that's going to be based on a rule of life. The eight practices that are outlined in the good way. If you're unfamiliar with the good way, it starts today here at one o'clock. I would invite you to come and to take part and to learn more about it. But if not, that's okay. Again, we're going to do this all again in the fall, so that's okay if now is not the time. But I just want to call your attention to the good way and say these eight practices, the thing about it, the other thing you have to know is that this isn't built around some man-made philosophy, right? Uh, this church isn't like, I don't have some gimmick or some like thing I've created that's going to make your life better. Really, these eight practices are really just a distillation of what we as a leadership have come into the scriptures and seen that is good and, and is made up of uh, that the practices that have been indicative of those who have been like a tree planted by the rivers of water who send their roots in the stream. It's the practices of those who trust in the Lord and place their confidence in him. I, I'll give you an example. Sabbath. So one of our core practices is that we are, we are Sabbath people. If you're unfamiliar with Sabbath, it's this, it's this concept of, of rest, where everything stops. And it's actually how we begin. So in my life, my Sabbath is Friday. So Thursday is the end of my week. And Friday night, I come in with my family, and we, we just have a sweet time together. No one's invited over. It's just us. And we have these rhythms that build intimacy among us, right? So we started it just by saying, hey, we should not, we should just have a day where nobody comes and it's just us. Like, okay, let's do Friday. And then we were cooking and we're like, man, cooking's lame. Because uh, so, <laughs> we got to do dishes. Maybe we should just like order something. So, so Friday nights, James gets chicken nuggets and we figure out something really delicious to eat, and we order in, and we feel great about it. And they're like, oh, this is really good. Our bodies are full, but we can also spend this time in some intimacy. And so we come up with these questions that we ask ourselves, right? What was good about this week? What was bad? What are you excited about? And we have this protected moment where we catch up on each other's lives. And this is the bedrock of my week. And that carries over into Saturday breakfast. And then from Saturday, I move back into the work week, Sunday morning, and it carries on through to Thursday. That's a practice that I carry because I believe that in order for me to effectively leave this church, I can't do it by being a busybody. I believe that I have to rest and work through rest and believe, as Psalm 127 says, that unless the Lord builds his house, well, then I'll just be laboring in vain. And so I have this practice of rest.
We're going to be talking more, as I said, over the next couple weeks about this rooted community. But for us today, I just wanted to give us a picture of what it is. It's people who just intentionally set their lives to be governed by God, individually and then corporately. So that means we're going to ask ourselves, what does Sabbath look like for myself? But also, what does Sabbath look like for our church? Right? Like, how are we practicing rest? Part of is as, as, a, as a team, as a leadership, we have a high value of rest. All of our staff, you got to have a day of rest. No one calls you. There's no work to be done. You have to go and sit with the Lord. It also means that we do this corporately and that for some of us, life isn't really set up to take, say, a Sabbath rest, right? You're a single parent. The city is already hard enough as it is. Taking a day off sounds like a real luxury. Okay, that means that I need to find time to go sit with your kid and love them so that you can take rest. And if I can do that and if you can rest and I can rest, and we're resting, and then the Lord says that that will send our roots down into the waters of God, and we will be filled, and this tree will grow. I know, Oak Church, it's like real on the nose. <laughs> Branding, what can I say? Uh, the band's going to come back up and lead us in worship. Like I said, this rooted community is going to be open to everyone, but it's not intended for all. And so that means you're going to have to decide uh, how you're going to relate to these people. We are not about the, the, the work of building an institution here. I know that there's a name, and I know that there's a, there's a, a, a federal EIN. There's a, there's a legal number, and we pay taxes, and that's because... We like got to because there's money involved. But we're not about building the work of an institution. We're trying to become a people here. And you will have to, each of you, decide what your role in that will be. And if you want to be a part of a people. And if you don't, breezy, all good. There'll still be a seat for you to come. Take, a, take a, some of the scraps off the table. But going back to Double Dutch, I could never do it as a kid. Because <laughs> there's this moment where this, the, the ropes are snapping, and you got this movement, and you're like, okay, I'm going. Here we go. One more, ah, oh, I can't do it. Because <laughs> what's going to happen once I get in there? I got to keep my feet moving. There's ropes everywhere. It's speeding up. Have you ever taken a rope to the back of the neck? It hurts. <laughs> there is legitimate risk. There's a legitimate risk in entering the dance. 
and it does require something of you. You will have to keep pace. You will have to move your feet. This is activity, but it's play. And so the invitation for us is to examine. I really feel like I just want to say to you that the gospel of Jesus Christ is invitational. Yes, it requires something of you. Yes, you will have to move your feet, but it is fun and it is play. It is altogether beautiful. That's the, that's the choice you got to make for yourself. Would you stand with me?